0: like the man said, it is about money, 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 money. And as we talk about Texas money and business, uh, we're back with Ambitious Radio Network and Doug Parker is here. And Doug, you've got a very special guest. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Hey, great to see you as well. And I, I'll tell you, it's, it's hard to believe uh, that, that we're, you know, several months into this now, we've, we're have on episode number 10. And, you know, as you know, we talk about business, entrepreneurship, finance, you know, try to find interesting people to interview. And I, and I hope that the folks uh, that are tuned in are uh, getting a lot out of this and are entertained but um, we couldn't make any of this possible without our sponsors. We've got FreeElectricityDFW.com, DFW.com. We've got RepairMyCreditNow.com and All3Reports.com. That's all the number three in reports with an S.com. Today we're going to be talking about some success principles, principles quotes. Uh, we're going to you know talk to Conway Edwards, Dr. Conway Edwards, about kind of his experiences in life. He's a godly man, a husband, a father, came to the U.S. on a soccer scholarship from Jamaica, and really the rest is history. Um, You know, he decided to use his leadership skills to further the kingdom, and you know, uh, we're going to talk about that today. So Conway, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing well, Doug. Thanks for
1: having me. Excited about the opportunity. Looking forward to it.
0: Well, I am so excited to uh, to have you on the show today. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you know we talked about you being from Jamaica and and you came here on a, sco- a soccer scholarship, but but let's let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, you know where you're from and and you know just your experiences in life before you came to the states.
1: Yeah, uh, grew up in a Christian home. Dad's a pastor in Jamaica, and hung out there for 21 years. Uh, Excited opportunity at about age 15, they asked me to become the the youth pastor almost of our our church and I had to lead early in life, Uh, a group of about 30 individuals all older than me. And so that's where I got launched into this leadership opportunity. I had a had a track scholarship, didn't work out, to go to TCU early on. And uh, so my dad told me no to that. I'm still trying to recover from that today. Um, and then I got a soccer scholarship to go to San Diego Christian College in California. And so that's where I came and I started a youth minister there at a church called Laurel Babel Chapel.
0: Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. So now you said it didn't work out to come to TCU.
1: But what, what does that mean? So, so dad said... Said no, <laughs> that's no, TC. You
0: said it didn't work out. That's a
1: great story. No, I, I used to run for for the country, and so we had a scholarship early. My dad thought it I wasn't mature enough to handle college <laughs> at that time, so he asked me to um, to to stay in a college in Jamaica for a little longer before. And we'll see what God had, what doors God were going to open up later. And then the one foot to play soccer in San Diego showed up, so that's why. You know, it's amazing how that works out. Sometimes uh, God's plan is is not
0: really our plan, and at the time. We can get uh, frustrated, but uh, you know sometimes I say thank God for unanswered prayers there. Absolutely. So, so so, you know, at some point you decided to uh, to to start a church in uh, in Allen, Texas. But is that something that you always wanted to do? That was your dream growing up was to be a to be a pastor.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I (laughs) I I, I didn't even want to go to seminary. I I, uh, I was in a business degree. I got an MBA and wanted to. To go into business, and I couldn't, I couldn't shake the call on my life, and so I went to Dallas Seminary. At Dallas Seminary, I, I started serving at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship with my spiritual father, Tony Evans, and uh, we hung out there for about twelve years. And uh kept having new opportunities that showed up. So I was a small groups guy for a while, and then I became the singles pastor for a while, and that kind of blew up. But my passion has always been leadership and developing leaders. And so I do that back in Jamaica uh, every four times a year, actually. I'd, I'd go and train leaders in, in, in Jamaica, and then I'd come back up and do my work here while I pursued my my doctorate degree in organizational leadership as well.
0: Okay, so you've talked a little bit about degrees and, and, you know, the folks have probably heard me talk about, you know, I've got a, a PhD from the School of Hard Knocks. There you go. <laughs> and uh, so I've never had the opportunity to go to college. And, and we've, I've heard you speak on this before, when it comes to different degrees and you know, people that go out there and they want to get a degree or they want to do this, do that. But let's talk about what what made you decide to do the business degree and then maybe how are you applying that now today in what you've got going on? Because it's not necessarily you're not doing uh, traditional business in the secular world, but you're doing you're doing the Lord's business. But let's talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's huge. I think God will use every experience you've ever had uh, ultimately to fulfill the calling he has on your life and so whether it's my business degree whether it's uh, the, the leadership studies I did I'm using every facet of it to create great environments for people to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior so I use every bit of it and I think it's huge I think whatever doors or opportunities God opens up for you and allow you to walk through I think he will ultimately use those for what he has called you to do in your life and so I I think if you have the opportunity to go to college, I think you should. I think if you have a passion for starting a business early, I think you should because I think he will he will he will come around and use every facet of it for the advancement of the gospel. Okay, very
0: good. I I think that's a fantastic word there. So when it came to starting the church, you said you were with Dr. Tony Evans down in Oak Cliff for twelve years. About twelve years, yeah. Okay, so so exactly, you know, what was the thought process?
1: How how did you wind up in Allen, Texas? That's right. That's a great question. Uh, So I never wanted to start a church and wasn't remotely interested in it. I just wanted to help leaders lead better. I thought the Church of Jesus Christ was poorly led, and so I wanted to leverage the skills and abilities I'd learned to help organizations get better. And so I was doing it in the secular world, training and developing leaders in the secular world, and I thought, who does this for the church? And so it became a passion of mine to help leaders both here in the U.S. and in the Caribbean, just to get better. In doing that, uh, my my senior pastor and spiritual father asked me to start this ministry called a singles ministry at Oak Cliff on the South Side, and we jumped in, my wife and I started it, and it was going great, and it actually went really, really well, so well that it it became so large we had to do something else with it. And that's when he tapped me on the shoulder and thought that I should... Uh, begin the process of planning to start a church somewhere in the U.S. He just thought I had the skills and abilities to do it, and he thought that the world would need a church like I would, that God would allow us to create, and so and so that's when we began thinking about it. I was so nervous that I said, okay, if that's the case, I wanted to honor him. So I said, I'm going to go 45 miles away away from our local church. And he had given me influence and leadership over a large group. And so I asked him if it was okay. So we looked at the map. We looked for the location that had the least number, af- least number of African Americans living there, because we didn't want to start a black church. We wanted to start a diverse experience. So we said, let's go, let's look on the map and see where that is. And it was in Allen, Texas. So that's why we ended up in Allen, Texas. That is very interesting. So so you left and, and about how long has that been? That's now been about eight years since we since we left Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, yeah.
0: Okay. And when when you left, uh you, you probably spread the word there, to try to take about half the church with you. <laughs> that's how you did it, right? That's
1: how, that's how it works, isn't it? Well well, I, I intentionally went forty five miles away because I didn't want to to take people away that were going to a healthy church. They were going to a great church, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. And so I didn't want to take people that were going to a church. We wanted to reach new people for Christ. And so we we told everybody he couldn't come with us. I asked him, actually, if it was okay for me to take eight people. I showed him the eight. He said yes. And so we take took eight people with us. They all had to move on the north side. And uh, we started in a house uh, about seven years ago now. And uh, that's kind of how it went. And so h- how did that progression go from eight people in... A home mm-hmm. and then we met there for several months uh in the home we probably met there for about two or three months, and then we started meeting off of seventy five and Bethany, and uh that's at the Hilton Garden Inn, and we were there for about three years. Uh, we, we ended up doing about 1,500 people in three years, four services at the Hilton Garden Inn. And then um, one day I was driving by on 121 in Custer, and there was a facility, and I said, Hey, Lord, is that the one you have for us? Is that the one you have for us? And um, that's, when, that's when the Lord opened up a door, and uh, three months later we were meeting off of... Prime property at the four corners of Collin County that intersects Plano, Frisco, McKinney, and Allen, and so that's where our church is now. And um, we've been we've been graciously blessed by God in a unique way.
0: Yeah, I've uh, you know I've I've been attending one for uh, almost four years now, and I think I came a couple weeks after the first time uh, that that that. that services were held at the, at the new facility. And mm-hmm. and through that time, I I want to say it was maybe 1,000 or 1,200 people a week, 1,500 I guess is probably mm-hmm. about what it was, mm-hmm. that was that was coming on a weekly basis. But I remember going through this process where at one time on a weekly basis uh, there were six different services, six, <laughs> six identical services, two That's on Saturday right. night That's and right. then right. four on Sunday morning and t- t- what what we got about a i don't know another minute or so but what about that experience let's talk about that a little bit so it wasn't something that just you were going to do it forever you kind of had a very specific way you did it but how how do you do that because that's
1: absolutely and so we knew you, it's, it's unhealthy to do six services for a long period of time, a sustained period of time. So we, we decided that we'd do it for one month and for one year, excuse me. And for that year, we it, and then we'll go build another facility. And so I asked the body, hey, will you allow us to do six services to reach more people for Christ? And while we do that, we'll only do it for a limited amount of time until we get into an experience because we knew it was unhealthy for the leaders to run at that pace consistently.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, I remember going through that process, and I think it wound up being about 20 weeks of six services. Yeah,
1: it was about
0: that. And um, I remember whenever you were doing four services, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then we went to five. <laughs> And then we flirted with six, and I was like, what? But hey, somehow you made it through there. Um, As we wrap up this segment, I just want to let everyone know, uh, like us on Facebook at the Ambitious Radio Network if you want to follow what's going on with the show, or log on to ambitiousradio.com. Anything that we go over on the show, we're going to put it there, and uh, we'll have reference to books, different uh, bios and, and such from our guests. And it's just really great information. So tune in after the break whenever we'll be talking more with Conway about leading an organization through rapid growth. And it is Texas Money and Business, so good to have you right here. Ron Taylor with you, and Doug Parker, Ambitious Radio is on the air, Doug. Hey, thanks, Ron. Today we've got Dr. Conway Edwards with One Community Church with us, and we're going to talk about leading an organization through a time or a season of rapid growth. There's been a lot going on over the past seven years within uh, the church, and just tell us a little bit about things that may be you know, stumbling blocks, things that you've ran into, how you got through those stumbling blocks, and, and how you put a, a program in place to run hard for a season and then recover and, and and continue to run hard and replenish.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. I think I think you have to start out, Doug, with Really defining what you 're doing and why you 're doing it, I think I think it starts there. I think you have to have in your mind a model of how we 're going to lead the body how we 're going to lead our organization how we 're going to lead the, the the nonprofit forward and so for us we we started out with a clear image of what we 're trying to do. We create environments where people who are far from God they love to come, and people who are who know God are fully engaged with God insiders and outsiders and and we took our vision and we we then simply drove it all the way through our organization. And so it started out with, first of all, making sure you have a call on your heart from God. Making sure this is your life mission, your life purpose. This is what I'm called and I know that I couldn't do anything else except what I'm currently doing now. And so that's where it started from. It started from with the passion of a leader and the the 10 people that were with us when we started out. And we just drilled vision, mission and values into our team so that everybody knew we're on a mission from God and our goal was to win people to Christ and grow people up in Christ, and so with that drilled all the way down the organization, the next thing that was critical for us is to is to is to then gather people around us who had the same values, the same mission, and were running hard to accomplish their goals and the goals that God has set out for us. So that's what I think is important. I think it's what's most vitally important is selecting the right team around you and making sure that you have uh, people on that team that have a a a a mission from God that they have to accomplish no matter what.
0: You know, I I like that and and, you know, one of the other questions that I had was, you know, what things would you recommend when starting up a new organization? Because as I've attended for the past four years, there are so many things that I pick up that are very much applicable in the secular world and you can go back and apply it. There's a few things you got to tweak just a little bit, but you talk about being on a mission from God and, and doing these things, but you know, from a vision standpoint, putting that vision in place. Talk about that a little bit about how, how did you guys come up with a vision? I know there are different things where you've got these these different acronyms and all kinds of things that you guys have put together and it's not by chance. I mean I've gone through them and and tried to memorize them, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that you guys put a lot of thought into when this yeah. was getting put together. So yeah. talk about that a little bit, about putting a vision together. How did you do that? And um, do you feel like seven years later that it's still just as strong today as it was when you put it together originally, or, or does it need a tweak?
1: Absolutely. I think it's a great call. I think the vision, I think the vision uh, never changes. I think that's who God's called us to be. I think that's what we're going after. We want to be able to reach people who are far from God, as well as we want to be so big biblically accurate that we want to grow people up in Christ as well. And, and, and what's difficult is trying to blend those two worlds of reaching people who, who want to have nothing to do with God, yet simultaneously training people up who have been in church all their lives, and then bringing them and inviting them to bring all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I, I think that's, that's really, really a challenge for us to do. But simultaneously, I think that's what God's called us to do. I think that's what Jesus Christ did in his mission. And so that's why we have set out to do it. So uh, first of all, Doug, I think it's huge for startups to, to, to realize that, I, they have a call. This is what I must do. This is not a suggestion. This is this is in my DNA. This is what I was built for. And so I think if you're there, then you've got the motivation and the energy. Then number two, I think you've got to be clear on why you're doing it. And so for us, we're, we call it the four R's, redeeming souls, rebuilding lives, reshaping community, and uh, reproducing leaders. I think for us, that's why we do it. There are people who are not saved that need to get saved. That's redeeming souls, rebuilding lives life. They're people that say they're Christians, but not bringing all of life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think that's what we have to do. Uh, I think that... um um, we have to reproduce leaders the larger the larger we get with our same DNA so that they can continue to do what we have begun the process of doing. And then reshaping community. We believe that um, it is thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, which means it's our responsibility to make sure that we model for our community what Christ-likeness would look like so that when they have problems, that is the city and the government, they can come to the church and ask us, hey, what, what would God do if he was in this situation? And so those those four R's, the drive Everything we do in our organization, and it will forever drive everything we do in our organization because we believe it is at the core of what we're called to do.
0: Right now, and that's that is very, very impressive. How you've got those down? It's 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 in the DNA of our church. And and you ask folks, there's a, a leadership college that that we have and and those things are it's it's the equivalent of a college level class that you take and you know it's not by by happenstance or by chance that that the growth has occurred um you know what advice would you give someone that maybe found themselves in an organization that that was experiencing explosive growth so let me give you an example you got an entrepreneur they feel like they're led to do something uh, you know, somehow or another, they got fired or they quit their job, mm-hmm. and they decided, "Hey, I'm going to go do this." Uh, they make something out of it, but maybe they didn't really intend on getting what they got. I mean, they they grabbed the tiger by the tail, and something took off. You know, I, I don't know. Did did you plan on having you know at some point six services, you know, <laughs> six seven thousand people a week showing up to hear you talk? That's a great question. Um, and and when did you decide? Oh my goodness, this this plan we put in place. Well, you know what? It's it's coming to fruition, and Man, it is really it is growing. Yeah. What do we do now? Yeah.
1: No, that's a great question. Uh, I think for us, uh if if we had two hundred people, we thought when we started we'd have been a success. We really did. We were just we were just excited about trying to minister and reach people that are far from God. So I promise you this is this is no false humility. If we had two hundred people, we'd have thought it would have been the greatest thing ever and we'd have been excited about that. Uh as we saw it go beyond two hundred and beyond, you know, couple thousand and we were just blown away by it. Uh, the num I would think the number one thing that, that, that spiritually God used to help us. And I think it would help any business leader ever is having the right coaches around you who can help you navigate the season. So you're always in a season and your question has to be what season am I in and what season am I going toward? And the wiser your coaches are, the better you are. God has uniquely blessed me with some of the most godly and some of the most spiritual and some of the most courageous leaders I know. And He has simply allowed me to have access to them, to ask them questions whenever I was in a season and I didn't know how to get out of it, whenever I was dealing with you know relationship issues and I didn't know how to get through it, whenever I was dealing with drama in the church and mess in the church and I didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, they, they allowed me to call them at any time and just have great conversations and they would coach me how to get through those scenarios. And I think that if you're leading any kind of organization, one of the things that you have to do is just have some great coaches around. You. I had five of them and five of them that were all leading churches beyond six thousand people. And so so they simply helped me navigate seasons that I were that I that I and experiences that I had.
0: So, so you mentioned a couple of things you said when when you had relational issues when you had uh, you know issues at the church so so pastors in churches they they, they have issues they, they it's messy
1: oh <laughs> It's a hospital. That's what it is. And we just, that's what we deal with, messy, uh, hurt, and sick people. And so our job is to see how we can shepherd them into becoming more like Christ and shepherd them toward health. And so obviously and absolutely we deal with all kinds of issues, Uh, not only the people's issues, but leadership issues, and not only leadership issues, but your own issues as a leader as you grow and as you develop and as you find out, yeah, you know, that wasn't their issue. That was my issue. I was just self-centered in that environment. And I need to I need to grow up and I need to develop myself in that area or two. And so I think as a leader, you've got to manage not only your own issues and getting coaching and counseling for those, but you've got to also help people uh, discover where God wants to take them in their own development and then ent- entice and encourage them to move in that direction.
0: So so not that we're necessarily uh, the show today just uh, having you on to invite people to church, but would you say that if someone has a messy life and they've got things going on and they, they think maybe they haven't been exposed to, to the church, that they think that these people dress up nice, they go to church, life's perfect for them, you'd say, come on down, we got room for one more?
1: Uh, We've got room for tons more. And I'd say not only that, I'd say uh, welcome to the club. We struggle just like you do. And uh, your area might be in one area, but I have struggles in areas you perhaps don't have. And, and we can help each other out and grow together.
0: Well, I think that's a great transition. You know, we're, we're uh, wrapping up this, this uh, part of the show. Uh, tune in next where we're going to be talking to Conway, Dr. Conway Edwards, more about leadership, relationships, and some of the other fascinating details about his life. It is Texas Money & Business, so good to have you right here. We hope that you're enjoying the show. Doug Parker here with Ambitious Radio Network. Doug, good to see you. Right, Great to see you too, Ron. We've got Dr. Conway Edwards here. We were just kind of cutting up a little bit in the, in the break there and, and got ourselves cracking up. Um, you know, we were talking in the break, and, and one thing that is so important is... You know the people that you surround yourself by. So when you're starting an organization, you know entrepreneurs, churches, whatever. I mean, any type of an organization, selecting those people is so important from the start because they have long-reaching tentacles forever. Even if even if they leave, um, they're there. So let's talk a little bit about that. What you know when you're going through that selection process. How do you discern which you know, which ones to keep, which ones to or which ones to bring on more importantly? And then and then if you somehow made it a, a bad choice then what? How do you, how do you transition? That's,
1: That's a great question. Uh, I, think, I think when you're dealing with volunteers and when you're dealing with paid staff, it can, it can tend to be just slightly different. But I want to talk about it from the volunteer perspective because in most startup companies, you, you don't have money to pay anybody yet, so you're really selling them on vision in the, in the future. And so one of the things I would think that um, would be critically important, and it was for us, is that you hire people that have a bias toward action. And so they should be, they should be doing something. Something Right now when you select them and you should be you should have to ask them to leave something and come join you, because if they're not doing anything now, then you don't want them on the team because they're not self initiated self starters. So they should have a bias toward action. They should be busy people that you're inviting to take on a, a grander vision, so to speak. And so I think that would be one. The, the, another thing that I think is huge is when, when you when you start an organization, one of the responsibilities of a leader is to set culture. And so, if you're setting the culture, uh, then you've got to have people like-minded with you, so that when you're when you're setting the culture of an organization, it's consistent with the people closest to you. And so, I think one of the things you want to look for, Doug, is is just chemistry. What's the what's the is there a chemistry between you and the individuals that are around, and the individuals that are on the team? Uh, obviously, for us, I think character, and it should be in any organization, becomes hugely hugely important. And then and then just the ability to get it done competence can you can you just nail it do I have to come behind you and make sure that you're getting your job done one of the principles that we try to try to infiltrate throughout our whole organization is that uh, performance buys freedom. The more you perform, the less we have to micromanage you. The more you perform, the more freedom you have. And so I think some of those are critical in the in the early stages, just to make sure that you have the right people around you. In the church world, for us, by the way, uh, in, in terms of looking for volunteers, I'll tell you what we look for. We look for um, we think... We think the church on the utilizes singles. We think they have the most time and the most availability. And so we, we, we try to we try to identify singles that have a bias toward ac- action. We, we always look for military guys that understands authority and understands getting things done. That's a huge process for us. So we always look for guys who have left the military at some level and now want to come back and is working a, another job, and we see if we can get them involved in our ministry. And then we look for people who are empty nesters, who, who want to move from success to significance and want to really make a difference. And so those are, those are three people, kinds of people that we look forward to um, because of the availability and the time that they have.
0: You know, one thing as as an entrepreneur and, and that hard charging, you talk about the culture. So, you know, I have found over the years that people that are just like me, uh, they're just like me. So they're not working for me, <laughs> okay? So that can be frustrating. So in the church world, do, do you find folks, I mean, this is, you know, to, to a certain extent, this has kind of been your baby. You know, you've you've put your heart and soul into it, and obviously God has blessed it in, in so many ways. But when you look back, finding those people that are just as hard-charging as you are, but they're, there's, you know, and, and of course the name of the show is, you know, the Ambitious Radio Network, but they don't have quite the the same ambition as you they don't want to necessarily be the front person that's a, that's a that's a difficult person to find
1: absolutely I think it I think it absolutely is and so then in light of that doug what I do is I find uh, people who are at the level I would say for we ranking it 1 through 10 10 being the the go-getters I usually seek out People who are probably number sevens, who I can develop to a number eight, because you really can't go to 10. You really can't go two levels up. So I really find a six or a seven that I can develop two notches that can then lead courageously um, within my leadership network. So what I've tried to do is I look for people who I believe God wants to use greatly, but they just don't realize it yet, and then make my value add to them the developmental process. Process so that they get better as I pour my life into them and do in the church world what we call discipleship. And so what I would suggest to young entrepreneurs or to people starting out for the first time is you look for people who you can really pour into and add value to their life so that they're a better leader having hung out and spend time with you. You know, one, one thing Zig
0: Ziglar used to say, and, and, and that was a guy I got to spend a, a little bit of time with over the years, and he had a quote that said, if you'll just help enough other people get what they want in life, Absolutely. you'll always have what you want. Now, that's one of my favorite quotes. It's 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 it, His fingerprints are all over my life, but but what's
1: one of your favorite quotes? Uh, one, one that I use. Oftentimes throughout our organization and it's in our it's in our boardroom is is the speed, the speed of the leader, the speed of the team. And I, and Doug, I find that that removes all the excuses that removes everything and you got to own your issues. And so if you set some goals and you set some initiatives and they don't get done, uh, that it, it was your speed and your ability that actually got it done, or if it didn't, everybody took their cues from you as a leader. And so I usually use that all across our organization just to remind people that there are no excuses. We're going to get it done, but for the the, uh, grace of God, we're going to get it done because of the grace of God. And in light of that, our responsibility is just to work as hard as we can and watch what God will do with people who are wholly devoted to Him.
0: Love it, love it, love it. So let's talk about mentoring and and people that you were following. I know that you've got so you mentioned earlier in one of the earlier segments about some pastors that invested in you. But let's talk about who's mentoring you right now. Who are you following? Are there secular CEOs or people that that you're following? Or you like to read books of theirs? Who, who who are you looking into right now? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. Um, I, there there are a number of people that I that I follow. My two dearest friends is obviously my spiritual father, uh, Doctor Tony Evans is one that. That um, I just I can call them anytime, and that that value Doug is so precious to me. That 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 somebody would allow me access to them like that, like like their son, literally like their son in the ministry. I just I just really appreciate that. Um, I listen to a lot of people. Perhaps the guys that influenced me the most uh, now is is. Um, is uh, Bill Hybels. I think Bill Hybels, who leads a church in Chicago called Willow Creek, I think he's one of the premier leaders. Um, and what I love about Bill is his ability to lead courageously, and then see himself accurately. Uh, the ability to get to get help from from counselors if he's not doing well emotionally or spiritually or in any way. Uh, I think modeling that for. For the really, the world has been has been revolutionary for me. Uh, I I listen to all the popular guys. I listen to uh, Andy Stanley, uh, his podcast. He does a great job with that, and he has. I read I read every book either both of those guys write, and um and I'm deeply grateful for the investment they have made in my life uh, from a distance and from afar. But I have just truly appreciated all that they have done for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's that is great. That I just wrote down a couple names of, of folks that I, I I'm gonna look up and and
1: read a, bit out a little bit. So what what uh, what's one of your favorite books? Well, I've got a lot of them. Uh, for this show, I'd probably say the the book that's probably helped us the most is the Art of the Start by uh, Guy Kawasaki. I thought he's a a, a guy from Apple, and uh, th- the book just reminds you that just because. Um, um, you have an idea and you want to start it don't mean that you should just jump out and go start it. it he, he actually m- makes sure, he actually suggests that you make sure that you are that you want to do the whole thing and not just this unique thing that you like. So for example, if you like to uh, go out there and start something that's fine, but you got to also manage the process of making sure that the business is going to function in a healthy way as well. And some people just like to go do the thing that they love to do, the IT part or the the fun part, but they now have to run a business. And oftentimes, I tell young leaders, young pastors, young entrepreneurs, that that don't just go start it because you're frustrated at the current job you're at. You've got to make sure you want to do the whole thing, from start to finish, and not just the unique part that you love.
0: Well, you know, when you're talking about things that you would tell young leaders and and those types of things, ask you a question here. If you could go back and uh, ask yourself, self. What would I do differently? You know, what kind of advice, if you go back 10 years ago, the, the man you are today, and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Uh, do not limit what God can do. Now, I know that's a spiritual answer for business leaders, but, but, but the idea is be humble, but, but don't shortchange the potential that is in you.
0: Okay, that's fantastic. I, I like that. I like that a lot. So, uh, as we kind of wrap up this segment, one thing I want to uh, introduce to everyone: we now have a podcast on iTunes. So, go to iTunes. It's Ambitious Radio. And you can tune in if you've missed the show, whatever the case is. You can do the podcast and download it uh, in a few days. Uh, Right after this break, we're going to be discussing some additional things with Dr. Conway Edwards. We're going to talk about uh, some of the books that he has written and then some leadership principles that he's going to articulate. So if you uh, are not driving down the road, get out your pen, get out your paper, take some notes. This is going to be the one segment that you really want to write write this information down on. Learning a lot today here on Texas Money and Business It's good to have you right here, and at the helm is Doug Parker with Ambitious Radio Network. Doug, well, welcome, Ron. Thanks so much for uh, for all that you do for the show. Today we've got Dr. Conway Edwards, and we're going to talk about leadership principles. Again, this is the segment that you know you want to get your pen and paper out. You want to take some notes because I've been around this this man for uh, the last four years, and, and I'll tell you for uh, selfish reasons, I really. Really love all the leadership tips. I, I make copies of notes. I bring them back to the office constantly on a weekly basis of things that either we're talking about on Sunday or one of the uh, ad hoc meetings we have, whatever the case may be. But uh, Conway, let, let's talk a little bit. I know you've written some books and there's some leader stuff, uh, leadership stuff in there. Let's talk about a couple of the books that you've written and Give us a little insight on how you decided to become an, uh, an author. You, uh, you know, content of the books, and then we'll get into the uh, the principles that that you have uh, in front of you there.
1: Yeah, uh, we've written two books. One came out of our time at our previous organization, which is uh, Oakleaf Faber Fellowship. And when we were there, uh, we were as the singles pastor uh, for about three years. And in it, Doug, we wrote, we wrote a book for singles called When Loves in View. We believe there uh, that for... While dating, most people simply follow the culture in dating, and what they do not do is realize that God has given us a blueprint for how to go about that process. So all we did was we we wrote a book and simply uh, highlighted the principles that God would want us to follow as you go about the dating business. We believe that we have a marriage crisis because we have a dating crisis, and so if we fix the dating crisis, we'll ultimately fix the marriage crisis. The second book we wrote uh, was on leadership and how to how to turn around ministry, and that we wrote because we noticed how ministers were dying and so we wrote it because we wanted to show leaders how to turn around the ministry and so whether the ministry needed to, to, to be overall then you need to have a strong leader come in and change the whole, the whole direction of where you're going or whether it's a much more subtle we're not, we're not reaching our goals so you need, you need to tweak some things and that takes a different leadership approach and a different leadership strategy and so we wanted to write a book to help um, mainly not-for-profit leaders Kind of move in the direction of when things are not going well. How do you turn that around? So that's kind of the two books that we've written so far, and after that, we've been too busy to write any more books. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you
0: you had mentioned leadership principles, so I know you've got some that you're going to share with us today. So let's let's talk about what what do you have first for us?
1: Uh, I think I think if somebody were to sit me down ten years ago, I'd want them to remind me that you ought to you ought to pay now, and uh, and play later. I think that's huge. I think in our culture, especially with our millennial generation, we, we want success right now and we don't want to pay our dues. And I think that as a leader you need to realize that that you've gotta pay sometime. And the best time to pay is up front. And so do the hard task first and then play later. But you've got to put the hours in. You've got to love the hours in. If you're going to prepare for a meeting, you've got to prepare beforehand, prepare thoroughly for the meeting, and then go into the meeting and execute it. If, if, if you're trying to purchase another organization or whatever it is, you've got to put the hard work in of doing the research so that ultimately you're, you're ready and overprepared for, for the venture that you're going into. And so I think that's huge
0: yeah that that really is that really is now I see some kind of stair step deal over there what what exactly is that
1: uh that that's a deal that I believe um, when you're leading volunteers it's huge uh, it, it's called it's called the five levels of leadership uh John Maxwell did it, but I think I think every leader should master it. And it simply asks the question why do people follow you? Are people following you because you have a title? Are people following you because of your investment in them? Are people following you because of the results that you have produced? And so I think in most organizations, um, people enjoy the title of leader, the title of boss, the title of I get to run the show. Uh, but if somebody's following you, Only for that reason. Then they're following you because you're giving them a paycheck and they're following you because they have to. Uh, The the more you go up the stairs... Uh, in this leadership model, the argument is the more people follow you because of your investment in them. And so he calls it the people development or the reproduction stage, where people now follow you not because they get a page, right? People follow you not because you have a title, but people follow you because you are making a intentional investment in their lives. In other words, they are becoming a better person, a better leader, a better influencer because of the insights, the wisdom, and the coaching that you. You're providing them. And I think the people closest to you should always be coached by you, developed by you and mentored by you. And I think when you do that, then you have individuals that have deep appreciation for the vision that you have, but as well for the person that you are, because you have spent so much time investing in them. And really, that's what Jesus did with his 12 disciples. And then they turned the world upside down.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's an absolute one. You know, it's the best model in the world to follow. You know, I was just looking at some notes from from a meeting from a while back. And you know, one of the things uh, it talked about was staff and organizational behaviors. And it talked about replace yourself. So I know one of the uh, I don't know if it's the right word is core values, but it's it's intentional
1: uh, apprenticeship. Talk about that for just a few minutes. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think I think oftentimes as leaders, we think we're going to be here forever. I think we assume that tomorrow is promised. I think as leaders, uh, that's unwise. Uh, Number two, I think if you start something and you really enjoy what you're doing, then we should also want the organization to outlive us. If that's going to be the case, and if you want to have uh, the organization not depend on you exclusively, then I think one of the values that you have to build into the organization is intentional apprenticing. When you're not there, who steps up to the gap? Who feels the pressure of leadership and of leading this deal? And so in our in our church and in our organization, what we try to do is c- to create an environment where everybody knows from day one, Who will replace you? Who are you developing? Who are you teaching? Who are you training? Who are you coaching? And giving them everything that you know and helping them make decisions as if they were the leader. And so what we try to do is to have leaders at every level with apprentices so that when they can come, when the season of life change, when they get moved out of town into another city, that they have somebody ready to go. Equally as gifted, equally as equipped, ready to take their spots. And I think when a leader does not do that, they become and they demonstrate that they are intentionally self-centered because they only think about themselves and they're not looking at the long-term ramifications of their absence.
0: That is fantastic. That is that is quite a model, and it makes a huge difference because every season has a beginning, a middle, and an end.
1: Absolutely. And
0: when one comes to an end, it's it's next up, and, and you want to make sure that they're prepared. Now I'm going to ask you kind of a, a curveball question. Come on, let's do it. All right. How much sleep do you get a night? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: uh, it depends on the day. It depends on the day. Uh, usually, though, on average, I probably sleep about five hours, maybe five, maybe six hours a night uh, max, usually. I'm... Um, um, I, and then every now and again, I get a power nap in the middle of the day. So, so I try to balance it that way. But about five hours is what I need, and then a power nap, ideally, in the middle of the day. Now, would what's be great. a
0: power nap? How long are you doing uh, a power nap? About,
1: about, about forty-five minutes to an hour.
0: See, that's just enough to make me mad. So, <laughs> if I take a nap like that, I'm gonna wake up because I didn't get enough sleep. So, I, I've gotta have a rock solid eight hours a night so I got to go to bed about 9 30 10 o'clock and then I'm gonna sleep till next morning about 5 5 30 something oh, no, like that my
1: best work gets done between 9 30 and midnight that's the best time
0: man okay. come on okay. come on all right I love it love it love it love it and remember you can make money or you can make excuses but you can't make both get out there and be ambitious listening To Texas Money and Business on 11:60 a.m. KVCE. Tune in weekdays at 10 a.m. to hear more leading experts
1: giving you all the information you need to know on Texas Money and Business.